we're going to read verses 1 to 10 of Esther chapter 7. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king again asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom it will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favour with you, O king, and if it pleases your majesty, grant me life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold for destruction and slaughter and annihilation. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept my quiet, because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, Who is he? Where is the man who has dared to do such a thing? Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage, left his wine and went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realising that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, Will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbana, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A gallows 75 feet high stands by Haman's house. He had it made for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. Well, good morning. Um, you turn in your Bibles to the passage we read together, which is Esther chapter 7. Um, I didn't actually put a title on this one this morning. Um, let's just get this one first. Well, when Matthew prayed, he used the phrase heart quite a few times and thought yeah that's good because the passage could be titled the true heart and we're going to see that as we go through it this morning and we've all got a heart and you know the heart is the seat of our affections it's who we are and God speaks about the heart and he tells us the heart of man is deceitful and wicked and that is true isn't it because we've all got that streak in us you know that, that wicked streak that, that hurtful streak that Wanting revenge streak. You know, that's how our heart is. God's heart is different. The heart of Jesus is different. But we're going to see the heart of two people who have hearts. It goes in this passage here this morning. Now, although God's name is not mentioned in the book of Esther, and I've mentioned this before, we're seeing the results of his provision in the lives of those who trust him. And it's in the midst of what are hopeless situations. But they trust in God. And that trust demands a faith, a faith that will believe, however things work out, whatever happens, it is stood in the will of God, not necessarily 
in our will. The prayers that we pray don't always turn out the way we think they should. And the reason is that God is in control. And if we come to God and we come to Him in the way that we should come to Him, then He will still provide for us, even though at times we think, well, this is what I really want, but it's not about what we want. It's about what God wants. It's not coincidence that God wants us to see him as father. Now I know human fathers are so diverse, so different, so hateful. You've got to admit that. But God is the perfect father with the perfect love who will give to his children what they need, not necessarily what they want. He will provide that which is in their interest, but also in the bigger interest. Let's face it of mankind. We see that as we go through our Bibles. And when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, how did he say? He said, start by saying, our Father, but then he goes on. Who art in heaven? That's the important thing. Our Father, who art in heaven. So, we're seeing Esther this morning. How is she reacting? Well, she's walking by faith and she's walking one step at a time. She remains, you know, I want you to see this. I think you can refer to the fruits of the Spirit. You know, as Christians, how, how we should live. It's not always easy to do that. But learn from Esther this morning. She remains respectful. Yeah, it's hard to be, isn't it? Hard to be respectful. But she remains respectful. She remains gracious. And it's hard to be gracious. But also, as well as being dignified, She's bold with that. I was thinking of that chorus we said with the children. Maybe we should have said it in the building. Be bold, be strong. Why? For the Lord your God is with you. And then you go, I am not afraid. And you do that, don't you, when you get that big. Yeah? Be bold, be strong. Why? Because God is with us. I am not afraid. Oh, no, not me. And this is Esther. I don't think she knew that chorus, but she was certainly acting it out. And last time, we saw that Haman's pride had been hurt. It was at the king's command, and it was on the king's behalf that he had to publicly honour Mordecai. Do you remember that? Ah, oh, that was a real kick in the teeth of Haman. It was a nice kick in the teeth, really, if I can use that phrase. Esther chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. So Haman got the robe and the horse, and he wrote Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, This is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Oh, that's a bite his tongue when he said that, didn't he? Hey, he bit his tongue off. Maybe he should have bit his tongue off. But you can imagine it, can't you? And afterwards, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, where Haman rushed home with his head 
covered in grief. Think about that. His head's covered in grief. You might see a connection to that phrase a little bit later about his head. Well, let me wait for it. And we said that there he got home, his wife, uh, Zeresh, and all his friends were there. And he, he told them what had happened to him during that day. And in that, we mentioned the humility of Mordecai. Okay, he was praised. He was uh, taken through the streets of Ireland. He just went straight back to where? He went back to the king's gate. He just got on with his life. No problem. Humility. And the contrast with proud Haman, who goes home. Why? To dwell on his pity. You know, to tell his family. So we come to verse 14 of chapter 6. So for Haman, he's having a bad day. And he goes back with his family. And he's filled with anger. And he's feeling sorry for himself. And he's telling everybody who will listen to him how he feels hard done by. Do you meet people like that? Telling you how hard done by they are. There's another question. Do you ever go to people and tell them how hard done by you are? Because we do, don't we? You know, we get on that hobby horse. Oh, you wouldn't believe it. Oh, you know what I mean? And we self pity. And it's there. Well, he's got a banquet to attend. On the previous day, the first banquet that Esther had arranged for King Xerxes and for Haman, the king asked Esther, what's your request? And she didn't tell him. But she said, that, look, I arranged another banquet for both you and Haman tomorrow. And I want you to come to that. And then I will tell you what my request is. So Haman is obsessed with his self-pity. And it seems that he's forgotten about the banquet. You know, all the, what he sees, the bad things coming into his life, have sort of covered over some of which he actually at this point sees as a good thing now. He'll get a few surprises about that. Well, for that little point there, you know, we do get so taken up with the things that are hitting us, and we miss out on some of the things that might be better. In this case, it wasn't. But you get the feeling that I'm saying here. Really, verse 13, and while they were still talking with him, this is back in Haman's house, the king's eunuch arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet that Esther had prepared. So, you got the picture? He's had this bad day, he's got home, he's moaning to his family, he's forgotten all about the banquet. Suddenly, a taxi arrives, and what is it? Quick shower, quick change of clothes. <laughs> At first, spring under my arms, let's get out. You know, oh, did I call me hair? Yeah, all in a rush, because he's been so taken off of himself. So we come to this chapter 7, and in verse 1 to 4, I'm just going to read them, and you'll hear the question, uh, which is here. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet, and as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king again asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, If I found favour with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me life. This is my petition, and spare my people. This is my request. 
For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. Here we have merely been sold as male and female slaves. I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. She's very gracious. But she's living in a different land and it's Persian society. And we've got to understand something of this as we go through this little passage this morning. First of all, their respect is for the king. He has the authority in the land and she has respect for him. Secondly, her petition was to let her live. I want you to let me live. This might seem strange. I've got a lot of respect for you, King. And I want you to let me live. Imagine the King hearing this. Imagine Haman listening to this. What, what are they thinking? You know, what danger is she in? Okay, the King knows that she was brought from a different land, or he thought she was. Maybe he didn't know that she used to live in that city of Susa. Because all those women who were brought to be concubines and one of them would become the queen, he probably wasn't concerned about where they were from. So is the queen from a different land? Is there a problem there? Is somebody back in that land that you're going to war? He owns the whole of the land. But then no word is under his command. Is this some rebel chieftain? And, and he's threatening the wife. Is this what he's thinking? He probably is. This will be his line of thought. And this will be the line of thought of, of Haman. I'll get the picture here. They're thinking, what danger is she in? Is it something we don't know about in the country? And her request is for the king to save her people. And this is the little bit I want you to get here. You know, be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. She is willing to identify herself with her people. So the next thought in the king of Haman's mind is, who are her people? Because they don't know she's Jewish. And Haman doesn't know that she's Jewish. Oh. You see, his thoughts are going in a totally different direction. The queen is in trouble. There's some problem back in her land. Oh, the king will sort this out for her. And he probably thought it's not to do with me. This I'll have another drink of the wine. <coughs> I'm enjoying the party. I like the banquet. Oh, but he probably just half listening now because he's probably lost a bit of interest because he's always thinking about himself. Get that? He's selfish. And she's willing to identify herself with her. And now, in verse 4, comes the reason for the request. As I read this, put yourself in the king and Haman's place. You don't know about Esther's nationality. You don't know about her people. You don't really know what part of the then known world she came from. Okay. <clears throat> We have been sold to be destroyed, killed, killed, and annihilated. 
If it's only to be sold as a slave, I will not have bothered you. You think, well, that's a bit strange, but it's not, you know, because we're looking at the land of Persia in the days when slavery was part of their society. That's how Esther came to be there, if you like. She was probably almost sold as a slave to be concubine with the king. So for the king to be sold into slavery would have been, well, what's the problem? <laughs> what's the problem? That's how we lived. That's how they lived in those days in Persia. And Haman probably saw both the same thing. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he? The man who has dared to do such a thing. So, this man, maybe this rebel, maybe this chieftain leader who is going to start a fight, and the fight is against the people of Esther who might be living in that land or lived in that land in a different clan. We don't know about these things. If these thoughts are going through them, maybe Haman thought, oh, hang on a minute. Oh, chance for me here. Yeah. So the queen's got a problem. There's something going on in other parts of the country. There's a people in danger. She wants it to be dealt with. Well, I'm a man to do it. I'll do it. And he's probably ready to step up and say to the king, I'll sort this problem out for you. I'll go and get a few brownie points. And these are probably the thoughts going through his mind, because that's how he is, that's how he thinks. <laughs> Esther said, an adversary, an enemy. Oh, right, we're on the right lines here, aren't we, King? I'm on the right lines here, aren't I, Payman? I know what's going on here. Yeah, I'll be the one to go down and sort this out. Yeah, this whoever he is, this adversary, this enemy of the king. And then Esther says, this vile, Haman. And as we read, this is another statement. Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. And he was. Because all those thoughts he had, all those thoughts of, he's the one, he's the enemy. He's the one who, Esther is making this request to the king. She wants the king to deal with Haman. This tells me how bold and how strong she is. This tells me how trusting she is. Who's she blaming? She's blaming the king's right-hand man. If you like, she's blaming the king's drinking buddy. They've already been to a party the day before and been drinking wine together. Now they're in this party doing the same thing. This is the one that the king trusts. This is the one who he's, he's given his ring to so that he could act like the king. And Esther is bold enough to speak of. Where's the thing? The king believes Esther. Why? Why? It's not because of just what she was saying on that day. It's because he's seeing how she lives. The people who were in control when she was being 
grew to be the queen, knew how Esther lived, the life that she led. The king has just seen her come to him in humility, in dignity, identifying herself with and other people who are her people. And what she's doing is she's putting her life on the line and the king believes her. That's a good testimony, isn't it? So that tells me that it's not just what you say at the time you say it. It's what your live says. What your life says as it leads up to those things that you're saying. You come across people like that. They tell you something, you say, yeah, you're telling me that I know what you're like. On the other hand, yeah, you tell me that, you know what? I know what you're like, I don't believe. Testament. You have to be bold. You have to be strong. A lot of people today in high religious positions without mentioning any names are not being bold enough. They're not being strong enough. And they're not saying, the Lord, my God is with me, so I'm going to say it. So I'm going to say it. Read your blogs, do your read, read your news items. You know what's going on within Christian circles and as people who are not bold enough to stand up and identify with God. They won't identify with their own people, those who are in Christ. Thankfully, many do, and many don't. But Esther here, she's pulling no punches. She's not just swinging out. See, there's order here. You know, she's not the, uh, the one going in fighting, she's the boxer. Yeah, she's already got it. And she'll land the punches and she knows the moment hits home. But a lesson there for us, isn't it? I'm not telling you about fight. <laughs> but you go out and be a Christian soldier. So the king got up in a rage, left his wine, went out into the palace garden. But Haman realised that the king already decided his fate. He stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. So the king relieved Esther. Haman sees the reality of who he is. There's the two hearts. The true heart of Haman and the true heart of Esther. What about your heart and my heart? Why did the king storm out into the garden? You ever thought about that? Not think about it. Okay, we needed a bit of space. We needed that sometimes, don't we? We needed to just walk away and have a thing. We needed a bit of space. But what was he thinking about? The heart of Haman has been exposed and exposed to the king, and the king recognizes Haman for who he is. Not only for who he is, and not only for what he's done, but more than likely because of the shame he's brought upon the king. 
in the eyes of the people when this gets out the king will look foolish Haman has made a fool of the king and the king is also thinking of himself here he goes out in a rage he walks out because he needs a bit of space he's got to think about it how can I solve this how can I how can I do this this is true this has come out this is now going to be public domain and how can I protect myself because through it I just look a complete idiot I'm stupid I'm an idiot and I've got it I don't know I'm going and he goes back in with all this on his mind how's he going to deal with this if he exposes Haman, he's going to expose his whole inadequacy as a king. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banqueting hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, Will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? And as soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. That's coming now. That's coming. So, unless the queen, this doesn't mean that it has sexual implications. That would be the last thing on his mind. So that's not what it is. And the queen being on the couch, that's how they used to recline, didn't they? You, you see that in history. She's on the couch, Haman goes over, falls down in front of her, he's begging for his life. And the king walks in. And he says, will you molest my life? Now, Persian law says that for the, for the queen, or for anybody, to be within a certain distance of the queen, even while the king is present, is against the law. And to go that distance further can be taken as molesting the queen without even laying a hand on her. That was Persian law. So he has every right to say what he said. So you've got to see the picture here. You've got to see what's happening. He walks in. There's Aiden on his knees by the couch appealing to the queen right next to her. He shouldn't be there. So he's, he's molesting the queen in the eyes of Persian law without even laying a hand on her. And he sees this and he says and he accuses him of it. But he's got a problem. But we have a quick thinking, thinking unit here. You want the guards to stand ground. And this man is a quick thinker. He sees the situation. He knows. He's heard what's said. He knows what's happened with the king and Haman. How the king's been a fool. And the king looks foolish in his eyes. But he's a eunuch, he's a servant of the king, and he's not going to want to get hurt and get him, you know, accused of things and for the people to look down on him. So he comes up with an answer. Then have I? One of the eunuchs standing, uh, attending the king said, you know, he knows what's been going on. You know, I mean, some people are like, you know, the, the office cleaner, we get all the gossip on. <laughs> or the tin man, and, uh, you know, when you're an apprentice and you're doing the teas, you've got all the gossip, you do everything. And they knew, they knew what was going on, the king didn't know, but they knew, they knew. 
the following are gallons, reaching the height of 50 cubits stands on Payne's Payne's house. He had it set up for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. Well, the king said, "Ain't paying much." See, the king's not answering now. He's got to deal with it. Haman was hanged on his own gallows. And in the books of the law and the records of the Persians, it would have been written down that he'd been executed because he had molested the queen. And that would have been the press release. Yeah? And Haman's been dealt with. But the problem's not over. There's still a law that's been written, a law that can't be changed, which says that on a certain day, the Jewish people will be annihilated. That problem is still there. So we're going to look at how that unfolds. This morning, we're seeing how Esther dealt with the problem that she and Mordecai had. They prayed. They prayed that God's will would be done. And they trusted and put their faith in whatever God's will was. That's a lesson for us, isn't it? What is God's will? What is God's will for us today? Well, the answer to that is here, in God's will. 2 Peter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with this. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That is God's will for you and I today. His will is, and this is twofold. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants people to come to him in repentance. That is the message of the gospel. Our hopeless situation is being helpless sinners. Each and every one of us in need of forgiveness, in need of repentance, that is, turning away from ourselves and looking to God for his acceptance. What else can we learn from the book of Esther this morning? We learn that Esther identified herself with her people. What is going to be the result of that? Well, Esther identified herself with her people so that God could save them from the plans of the wicked Haman. That's the story of Esther. But let's translate that into our story. Jesus identified himself with us. Now, think about that. This is God identifying himself with us so that none should perish. And that all had the opportunity to come to him in repentance. Get that.
Philippians 2, 6 and 8. Just speaking about Jesus. Being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't become man for his own advantage. It was to his glory, but it was for you and I that he humbled himself and that Jesus came to this earth. I think it was uh, one of the astronauts, forget which one's name, don't want to name the wrong one, who always said it was a great thing that man walked on the moon. It was a far greater thing that God walked on the earth. That's what happened. That's what he did. And he did it for you and me. And he goes on, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And he goes on and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. I was thinking of um, the hymn by Isaac Watts, I didn't suggest we sing it. But I thought about it when I was just finishing these thoughts off. I just want to quote this little bit of my thing. Alas, so did my Saviour go, and did my sovereign die. Would he devout that sacred head for such a worm as I? At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. Was there by faith I received myself, and now I am happy all of them. Great. At the cross. At the cross. You know, Isaac Watts saw the light. And it's all good. And we can learn from God's way. And these are the things that God wants us to take away. He's speaking to us through his word. An old story. You know, it's been said, and I agree that it makes a great film, this book of Esther, as long as it was done in the right way, with the right motives. But you know, you don't need a great film to understand it. You've got the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got God's written word. And it's only a short book. And we're going to carry on with it. But in the meantime, let's just close in prayer. Then we're going to sing our hymn, our hands to Matthew. And then... We want to speak just a little bit more about the cross. Okay. Father, we just thank you for this time we spent around your word. We thank you that you can open these words up to us. And we thank you that we can apply them to ourselves in our day because they're written so that we might know who you are and who we are. Now, Father, we just thank you for this time. Ask your blessing upon us and that help us as we make the decisions we make that we might make them in the knowledge that you are our father in heaven thy will